What's up, everyone? This is episode 121 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I hope everybody's having a great week so far. I hope you're enjoying the playoffs. I've had a couple of wild Game 7s since my last episode, but I'll talk more about that with today's guest in a little bit. And speaking of today's guest, I want to give some background info here real quick, and then we can get started. Um, shortly after last week's episode, I came down with a nasty cold. I, and I guess that's what I'm going to call it. I don't know. I never had a temperature. Um, you can pro- It's probably pretty obvious in my voice that i am still got some of the effects of that. This is the best I've sounded in four days. So uh, there was no way I was going to be able to piece together and record an episode on my own. But the show must go on. I messaged Steve, a.k.a. S. Halley, to see if he would help me out. And as always, he was more than willing to do so. So we're going to jump right in. Steve, thank you for helping me out with this week's show. How are you doing? Uh, happy to help, bud. As you know, always, always happy to hop on board. And I'm glad you gave your listeners a little insight. Little do they know that that whenever you've had a, a tough week, you always dial me up and know that I can come on and talk about Jay Crowder or something stupid. It makes an easy episode for you. So, uh, But um, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, public school is just wrapping up here in the Northeast. So Today's my first day of summer break. Got a few weeks off to myself before I start my summer job. So no complaints on my end. And I'm glad, you, glad you're feeling better. Well, thank you. Yeah, so there you have it. This guy, his first day on break, and he's spending it on the Wax Museum podcast. So uh, kudos to you. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, thank you to, to uh, the rest of the family as well. I'm sure you had to tell them, hey, I'm, I'm going on a podcast on my first day off so oh no 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 my kids are still young enough they're in public daycare so this is you know there was the summer of george this is the summer of steve so i okay. have, <laughs> I get the summer to myself this year excellent all right so similar to um your last appearance on the show i sent you a list of eight topics before we sat down to record today um the majority of them are they're loosely based on your social media or things that we all know you're interested in because we i feel like we're we're getting to know you pretty well here now um, not all of them are directly related. Some things will take longer than others, but I'm excited. So let's jump in. Topic number one. I referenced the playoffs earlier. I'm assuming you've been watching. I have. I, I've been I've been glued to the playoffs. It, they've been really good. I know everyone's like, oh, you know, all the all these players are out. You could go through, you know, top ten players in the league right now, with the exception of maybe Kawhi. They're all out, um, and he's hurt. Mm-hmm. These playoffs have been really good. So um, we're recording on a Tuesday, a Tuesday afternoon. Uh, the Suns have taken a 1-0 lead over the Clippers. The Hawks and the Bucks have yet to play a game in their series. Um, was there any particular series you were really interested in over the last round? Yeah, I, I'm in... You know, most of your listeners know I'm I'm from the Boston area, and if they don't, they can probably tell about my my bad accent. Um, I, I was hate watching the Nets Bucks series, <laughs> um, and it was I, it was interesting when I, I I told my buddies that you know if I wasn't paying attention to the names on the back of the jerseys, I was I was enjoying the way the Nets were playing for a lot of that series, and I was not enjoying the way the Bucks were playing. I thought I think the Bucks offensive set is just it's pathetic. There's I felt like for the first four games of that series, whoever took the ball up just jacked up a shot. There was no 
there was no action. There was no no ball movement. I was, but I, I was really tuned into that one. Um, Durant was unbelievable, and I, I know I saw your your tweet um, about the playoffs. We need more Durant this year, and he was given his age, given the minutes he's played over over time, given the injury that he's coming off of. He he was electric. He really took his game to a next level, and he tried to drag that team across the finish line. Um, it was really impressive to see. And then, <laughs> and he's inches away. Oh yeah, literally <laughs> just inches away. Yep. Did you see the close up of his foot, like with a uh, with the sock on, without shoes on? <laughs> the thing I did. Now, and and I don't know if you've seen it, but there's you know this this story resurfaced on how he wears a shoe that's a size bigger. So that all these people oh. are saying, well, if he'd only wear the proper size, it's like, come on, come on. Yeah. That was an unbelievable series. I mean, I was I'm loving every. I'm, I've been loving every second of the Suns, not just the Crowder connection, though. You know, I enjoy that Jay is a starter on a legitimate contender right now but just the way they're playing basketball i said i wasn't enjoying watching the box i'm really enjoying the way the the suns are playing basketball they're electric they they move the ball they defend aggressively i've never been a cp3 fan ever and i really have learned to respect him um over his time at okc and phoenix when other players across the league are dogging it to get off teams or get moved around he's gone into these you know rebuilding situations and really taken taking them to a next level. So I, I hate that him and Kawhi are out to start this series. That that that's a, a hit to the to what could be a, a more competitive series, but um Is it because you're a Rondo guy? Is is uh, that where the C P three hate comes from? No. I, I I always found it to be like just it was more he had like a real whiny attitude and I, I don't like the Clippers. Um sorry other Kyle. And and I had no use for um the Rockets. I, I just never liked the way they played, so um, it was more of where he was um, playing in the st- in the style of those teams that I just never I never really followed them either. So it's just been a different different experience. All right. Well, you mentioned the the Suns in there. That'll take us to our our second point today. And and you are you do own the Suns hoodie now, so um, you are kind of committed. So um, how many duplicate Crowder cards did you move after he was salsa dancing on LeBron? <laughs> Oh, um, I should pull up. I should have pulled up my spreadsheet. I, I had them counted at one point. Um, yeah, I, I moved a ton of them. I, I had so from that. Some of your listeners asked you back, you know, several months ago about that Crowder collection I, I bought out, and we talked about it on an episode. I, I mentioned on that episode that the collection wasn't as diverse as I had hoped. It was a lot of of bulk stuff. I think there was. For instance, the out of 25 NTRPA, I think there was six of them out of the 25. And the immaculate RPAs out of 75, there was probably 12 of them. Um, so I, I eventually, Ooh. I've moved all that stuff. All those RPAs are gone. Um, stuff has definitely been selling. For the most part, it looks like, and, and I would do this, and I'm sure, you know, Kyle, you've probably done this with some of the teams you you, you like with the Pacers, is... They get a, a role player that you really enjoy watching, and you maybe go and scoop up, you know, a rookie or you know, rookie card or something of his. So a lot of the stuff moved. You know, we're talking five, ten dollar cards, not not high value. Some of the the nicer RPAs did move, um, and for the most part, it seems like collectors, like teams, have just been collectors have been grabbing like a cheap auto of his just to have. Um, definitely, a few Comcy flippers have have picked some stuff and. <laughs> put it at a, at a higher price and you know, that's, that's their prerogative. I'm not sure they're, 
it's going to move what they want it to. But you never know with the hype of the the playoffs. You know, one big shot and all of a sudden people could could FOMO buy something. So, but yeah, the the stuff moved really well and it was good to clear out that inventory. Um, probably in total, probably forty five to fifty crowded cards since the start of the playoffs. Wow. Yeah. And, and here we are. And I don't, I might've even said this on the last episode. I'm still just stunned that, um, you know, I, we're, we're not going to say the market crashed or anything like that. I don't know where the market is, you know, relative to where it's going. Obviously things are down a little bit though. We've, we are in a yeah. dip. I think that's fair to say. And here you are making money off of a Jay Crowder collection that by all means, I mean, I know you're a collector, but by all means, not a good financial decision. Oh no! I, I said that on your show. I said it was it was a hor- financially a horrible decision. But now you said that really it hasn't been, or, or no, at least from no, what I understand, no. it hasn't been. I've lucked out. You you've lucked out. So once again, and you brought this up to me the other day, just like uh, our theme song for last year was "Weird Al's Everything You Know Is Wrong." I guess it's a two year theme mm-hmm. for right now. All right. Um, any other additions to the? Uh, Crowder collection before we move off of Crowder. Nothing that I haven't haven't posted on. So, oh, I, I guess one thing I do have um, my thirtieth copy of the NTRPA out of ninety nine coming from Asia. That'll that'll take several months to get here. But my my buddy Kenny over in New Zealand helped me uh, secure that one. So another addition to that hoard. Now you did pick up a um, was a Prism Black Gold from this yep. year. Um, there was something on that that puzzled me too. And I, right. I think you, I think you pointed it out. I don't, I wouldn't have even noticed it, but it said um, he's in a heat uniform, and it said um, traded to heat on, and it, I think it gave the date. Um, I've never seen a card that had that on it when he's already in that right. uniform. I, I don't, what's up with that? Your guess is as good as mine. We went back and forth with that uh, that heat collector. Um, you're absolutely right. For for people that. Maybe haven't picked up on those details. When a player switches teams, so in the off season and they don't have an updated photo, for instance, when he went from Utah to Memphis, you know, it might say traded to Memphis on, but it might be a Utah picture. Panini's always done that, especially in the lower end sets, the Donruss, the hoops. Um, it. I have to just imagine that they were just cranking stuff out, and whoever was putting the design features together just maybe wasn't as experienced, or they missed it. Um, I, I think it's just a mistake in how they designed it. I don't think it actually should apply. Or they should have called it a Phoenix Suns car. It's just the whole thing's a mess. It should say signed with the Phoenix Suns November 2020, whatever, and then right. show the Phoenix Suns and then a heat picture. That's how like they use that language. Instead, it's just there randomly and doesn't need to be there. So I think it's just a mistake in the way they designed the cards. Yeah, and I, I don't. I'll have to go through. I haven't seen much prism because, quite frankly, I haven't found any. Um, I'll have to go through. I'm I'm curious to see if any other players have that, or if that's something that's unique to um, to your guy. I don't. Who knows? Um, all right. So you know that was your that's your secondary team. Um, and last week I talked about how any team could win right now. Any team that's competitive, if they have the right combination of talent and luck. Um, well, your Celtics, uh, don't, didn't have the luck. I think they have some of the talent, maybe not quite all the pieces. Uh, my team definitely didn't have either, but, um, your Celtics did pull off a big trade to maybe acquire some of those 
pieces. In fact, it was Brad Stevens' first trade in a front office role. Boston sent Kimba Walker uh, this year's, I believe it's this year's 16th pick, and a 2025, (laughs) which that's a long time from now, second rounder to the Thunder for Al Horford, Moses Brown, and a 2023 second round pick. How do you feel about that trade overall? I'm I'm really high on it, um, and without you know boring all the listeners with the minutia of what Danny Ainge did with the salary cap, um, the the Celtics are in really tough financial situation. I was before this trade even happened. I was on Basketball Reference going through uh, team pay payrolls, and the Celtics are one of the very few. Like so, be, so let me back up. Basketball Reference will show uh, payrolls five years out, so they project five forward based on guaranteed contracts. The Celtics were like one of two or three teams that had high guaranteed money going all the way five years out. They're, they're really in a crunch right now, and they've got some players that are coming up that they're going to want to re-sign potentially. Uh, Evan Fournier this year that they just traded for. They've got Robert Williams on a rookie scale. that's He's going to be extension eligible. Marcus Smart, um, free agent next year. So they've got some some decisions to make. And unfortunately, what this move was, was a salary move. It really wasn't about the players, though I don't think Kemba, especially post-injury, um, ever really fit in with the, the Jays. Um, he just, he never learned or didn't seem to to be able to take on the role of, of an off-ball spot-up shooter. Like he, he couldn't hold the corner. He really needed to have the ball. He needed to be moving with the ball and that's that's taken out of Tatum's hands, which I don't think is how they want to run their offense. So I think it does open up the the roster a little bit, but what it really does is it gives them um, financial flexibility a lot sooner than they were anticipating. Um, as early as next year, they can start to have some financial flexibility. So it's a money move, and then you know the sneaky little project is uh, Moses Brown that gives them some some depth. You know, sorry Taco, have fun living in Portland, Maine, but <laughs> looks like your your fourth center is going to be Moses Brown and. You know he's got some potential. He's he's seven two and he's he can move well. So that'll be an interesting piece. And you know, giving up a draft pick, we've got enough young guys on this team um, here in Boston that I'm I'm all right. It's not ideal to give up a first round pick to dump some salary, but that's that's essentially what they did. Um, and then it brings back Al Horford, who I am a huge fan of. This you know I've been following him since college. I loved him in Atlanta. I loved him here in Boston. He's 35. He's going to, you know, he's not going to be a starter. He's going to play 20 minutes a game, but um, he's got size and the Celtics need size. He moves the ball well. He's a good passer. So I think he's a good fit. Probably only sticks around in Boston for the season, but um, I I like the move overall. Yeah, I think he's a a good glue guy. Um, Now, speaking of Al Horford, and I I think that segues to our next point. I, I think it was the day of the trade. I'm scrolling through Instagram. And um, I see you with a pair of uh, clippers and a slabbed Al Horford logo, man. Uh, a good grade. I think it was a, a BGS 9.5. Um, now, I wish I could have the clip queued up where we talked about my slab cracking on your last appearance, but um, I don't have all that ready. And, and you know what? I'll admit it was my first time. My hands were shaking. I get it, right? I might have started from the bottom instead of the top. <laughs> Um, you know, I got, uh, well, you tell them what score did you give me? It's five out of 10. And my quote was five out of 10 because the card wasn't damaged. Okay. All right. So you've done this many times before. I I've seen this whole slab cracking thing on your social media. You inspired me, right? 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm expecting this Horford to just crack like an egg. In theory, you make a snip at the top and it should split right down the middle. Um, but Steve, this was bad. Oh, it was so tell bad. me what what happened. A couple of things. One, the snips that I, I have right now, I couldn't find. I like you have. I have some old rusty ones somewhere. I couldn't find them. Um, I have this new this newer pair that I I forget what I was doing around the house, but I, I picked up for something I, some job I was doing around the house. It's not they don't really open wide enough for the the real thick patch cards, the one thirty. So it's it's not the ideal tool. I think I made a joke on one of my Instagram posts like my tool is a little undersized. Um, <laughs> it's definitely not the right set of snips for a, you know 130, 180 point card. The other thing is in the the serious side of it is. Um, BGS on the on the really thick cards, and I just wasn't thinking. Um, when they put the slip in there, they actually put it on a brick of acrylic so that the slip is pressed up against the top of the uh, the slab, right? So picture if they didn't, it would be way down at the bottom. And if you've got a slab that's a half inch thick, it would look weird. So they put a big chunk of acrylic in there. They taped the slip to that, and then that way it's right at the front of the, the slab. I forgot about that, so when I clipped the top, I hit that, so my, my clips didn't go all the way through. I forgot it was there. So that created a, a whole sideways cut, and then the bottom. Wait, did I, just... have, did I have those in my slabs? I don't know. Um, I don't this is know. news to me. I don't remember that. And I, and I had it. They don't. I don't, after it came out, and I kind of said, oh, crap, I forgot. I don't recall them being in all of them. I don't think they were in my... Because I also did the every player every game. That was a BGS nine, my peers, and I, I I had no issues with that. I don't remember the the little brick of acrylic, so it must be something that they've been doing more recently. Um, but I, I have this wasn't the first time I'd seen it. I have seen it before, but I, I haven't seen it every time. Um, but yeah, that that definitely made for that that first cut was a mess because I hit that thing and it, it wouldn't it, so it stopped it from shattering all the way through. Um, so yeah, I gave myself a five out of ten. It was it was a mess. It looks it, okay. it looks a lot worse on video than it was. It was you know cleaner in person, but it was it was a mess. I gotta get I gotta get some new slips. I mean some new clips. Okay, so so the question the follow up question then is: Did the card sustain any damage after the botched operation? Nope. That's why I got the five. <laughs> five out okay, of ten. Well, the card was safe. Well, my my scale is a little different. Um, I am going to say because you forgot about the acrylic and had seen it before and hit it on your first strike, I'm going to give you a 4 out of 10. That's, that's fair. All right, 4 out of 10. So, um, Okay, so if any of you want to buy a slabbed card so you can practice on your own, you can do so and support this show in the process. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com and click either the Fanatics link or the eBay logo at the top. Shop as planned, and the Wax Museum Podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hey everyone, this is Steve, Kyle's unofficial co-host, and you're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. All right. Yeah, I think it's safe to say, um, you've been on, is this six or seven times? If if we count the... um, If if you count mailer, the, what what do you, user mailbag? Listener listener forum, yeah. I did, yeah, I was definitely on, that's right, you did that forum one where you had like four of us 
to have discussions and yeah so a couple but what you know let's uh take a second and recognize what's going on in the world this is the first time that i've been on with you buddy that we can probably say we're out of the pandemic um this is the first time in massachusetts that it's been open every time I've been on so i think that's monumental this is our first <laughs> and ironically you're sick so go figure <laughs> i i know you know um regardless of your position on masks um I didn't get sick this past right. year in the classroom, which is yep. a big deal for me. Um, so I, you know, now I'm not wearing it and, and I got sick immediately. So, mm-hmm. um, but I'll leave it at that. I'm not going to make a, I'm, that's not meant to be a political statement or anything like that. Okay. Um, so on last week's episode, I talked about a card show that I set up at, which was also my first one without a mask. Um, and that was kind of a weird feeling. It's part of getting used to things. Um, shows are opening back up nationwide. Of course, they've been here in Florida since July. Um, now you went to a card show this weekend. I did. So if you don't mind, uh, tell me a little bit about that experience and what all it entailed. Sure. So it was, um, as far as, well, the second card show in the area since the pandemic. Um, the first one being, um, a large one that was in, in Boston. This is a smaller monthly card show. Uh, for any listeners in the New England area, it, it used to be known as the Mansfield Show because it was in Mansfield, Mass. That they they relocated it, um, and it was actually the the first show that I've been to. Even though I've been quote unquote back in the hobby for for a decade now, the first card show that I've I've been to as an adult. So um, it was on Father's Day, so it was Sunday. Um, my daughter heard me. My four year old daughter heard me talking about it with my wife. Just you know, basically it was Father's Day. I'm a dad. I had carte blanche to do whatever I wanted, so I knew I was going to go to the card show. <laughs> Uh, but she wanted to come along, so I, I ended up going with my daughter, which you know wasn't was a, I w- I had a ton of fun. I, it, not what I'm about to say is has nothing to do. I, I would not change it, but it didn't make it ideal for being at the card show. You know, as far as you know, the, her tolerance of me sitting there flipping through dollar boxes. But um, it was so the the show was in a new location. Um, again, I hadn't been to the previous one, but but this location was tight. It was probably. I'd say 60 tables, good, good variety of the four major sports here in New England where, you know, it's a pretty heavy hockey community as well. So the four major sports were well represented, solid um, diversity of cards. It wasn't a lot. There were definitely tables where you could look at a dealer and say, you absolutely did nothing but open retail products last year and get them slabbed and hit, that's your, that's your display. But that, that was few and far between. Um, there was high-end dealers. There was there were vintage dealers. Um, there were sports-specific dealers. So there was a couple like hockey-only tables. Um, but it was it was a tight setup. It was um, if you had unfortunately if you had you know a person looking at each table. So the center rows, you know, there's tables on each side. You couldn't walk by, um, and it, that that made it tough to to get a spot at a table to go through some cards because you couldn't really wait for the guys to finish up because you would completely block in the aisle. So I ended up walking. I was there for 90 minutes, maybe closer to two hours. Um, hit up, you know, did a perimeter walk, then walked down each each row just to kind of get a, a sense of what style, what, what each table's looking at. Then I, I went through and kind of talked to a few dealers and made my way through the show um, by going back through the route, you know, three or four times and stopping the different tables that, that looked intriguing to me. Um, I will say... And for listeners out there, you've talked about it. You've talked about it on Pack to the Future um, with Chad. 
the tables that had cards priced, even if they were priced high, like maybe they haven't repriced them with all the changes recently, were 10 times more inviting to stop by than the ones that weren't. Um, hmm. And the ones where there were no prices, I felt like, okay, I'm going to have to get in, ask a price, and then see, you know, it, I, I got turned turned off, I guess is what I was saying. So, for for example, there was one table where nothing was priced. Um, my daughter watches most of the Celtics games with me. She has very good taste. She wanted uh, player zero or player seven, which would be Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. She wasn't interested in, you know, Robert Williams or anybody. anybody. And she picked out that number seven every time she saw it. And there was a an immaculate napkin patch, whatever, probably a $5 card. Um, so I was going to get it for her if I got something else from the guy. I picked up a, a card that I knew the value on. And this is how I had to price him. I knew the value of this card. You know, I was like, hey, you know, what are you looking for this? And he told me some a price that was about 3 to 4x and Oof. quickly put that down and walked away. And those interactions were quick because maybe he would just had that one card. He, it meant something to him or he had a high, you know, that. But no, that one price that he quoted me made me want to walk away from a couple other cards that I would have picked up from him. But um, overall, it was a, a great show. I wish I had time to spend, you know, Spend a little more time going through the, the nuanced stuff, the dollar bit boxes, the the binders and stuff. But it's a monthly show, so I'll head back and uh, be able to do all that stuff. But it was it was fun. Picked up a football card of all things. Who would have thought? I've you know never bought a football yeah, card in my it life. It was but... a uh, a Donovan McNabb card, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It was a it was a two thousand nine exquisite. Uh, dual patch, uh, Tom Brady, Donovan McNabb. The, the McNabb patch is much nicer, but I, I've wanted a, a Brady patch for a while, and the look of this one and the price is right. Um, and the guy was great to deal with. He had all his stuff priced, uh, priced high, and he knew it. He, I don't think he had repriced. You know, probably, I bet he was at the Boston show three months ago and had it all priced for that. Um, but he said, you know, don't. I, I'm, you know, I'm taking offers. Don't let the price tag scare you. He opened up his his case he let me go through everything he knew his inventory he knew what was game used what was you know event used he, he was so knowledgeable and talked with my daughter um and i happily bought a card off him that i normally wouldn't have because i i want a i wanted the card but i was enjoying the experience and his knowledge and and him helping me understand the cards that were definitely out of my lane so um, those were the guys that i enjoyed i enjoyed talking with and working with so I noticed you said in there that um, obviously, you know, you'd like to have spent more time there, but I would say, you know, just from what I've seen with kids at card shows, 90 minutes is, is pretty good. Do you have any tips for someone that maybe has a young child and they're going to a card show with them? Um, well, one, so one is she likes engaging in, in, in the cards with me, right? So uh, where I keep my cards is on a bookshelf. Um, I think I said to you, Kyle, um, one of the things that's really good about the mass produced crap that Panini is putting out is all these swirly pink and purple cards she loves. So <laughs> it works for a four year old girl. Um, but right. she's so it wasn't, but she also has a knowledge of the cards. Like she, not value or anything, but she knows that dad likes cards and that she has her own special cards. And, you know, this is something that she was going to get to do with me. She knew likely we we're going to go out to the 99 afterwards, which is her favorite restaurant. Um, while we were there, um, I definitely let her know, like, you would, be, she, I would allow her to pick out some cards. Um, I let her flip through. I, you know, she found ones that she liked. I said, okay, let's think about that, but let's keep walking through. Um, when I was talking with dealers, I, 
I kept her right in front of me. It wasn't like I held her. Like, so she was, you know, hearing the conversation and could look around and sort of, you know, look at the cards in front of her. Um, but it was more just prep. It was, you know, she, again, she's had cards before. It wasn't like this was her first time. Um, and there was a, there was a lot for her to see. So she enjoyed that. Um, she enjoyed, she wore a Celtics jersey. She had a, a brown jersey on. So she liked that everyone was complimenting on her, her cool looks. Um, but yeah, she, she did really well, but she also, she's a kid that likes to be out and about and, and, you know, kind of getting dragged around places, I guess. She, she enjoys going to the supermarket. She enjoys going to Target with me. So um, she just likes to be out and about. And the fact that she knew she was going to get to pick out a couple of cards made, you know, made her happy. But no, no magic, okay. no magic tricks. Sorry. Well, I, I mean, I, I think there's still something in there, though, that might be helpful to anyone out there. You know, we got a lot of people that are just now maybe going to their first card show or going for the first time in a while. Maybe they've had kids, you know, that are now becoming of age. So I think that's all some good advice there. One trick I will, and this is something that I, I had to learn the, the hard way when I was there. Um, a four-year-old is right at waist height. Um, so definitely get ready to pick your kids up and carry them through the lines because the poor kid got her uh, her head hit by a couple of rear ends a few times. And we're not known for being the, the most physically fit uh, hobby. So that was that was one thing I turned around. She had a, a 60-year-old butt right in her face. And so that, that was one thing that I, I had to adjust to. Well, if, if it was the Florida show, it'd be one of those slab briefcases. She probably would have been knocked out by one of those. Um <laughs> Now, I, I will say, sitting on the other side of the table, I've had a few times where, I, and I don't want to be anti-kid at my table at all. In fact, I try to interact with them and I try and make it a good experience for them too. But man, there are some times where the parents are not keeping the kid in front of them and they're like, they they always, they know like the most expensive cards to grab, <laughs> even if they don't know how to read the prices. And it's just like, this kid finds my LeBron book at the last show and he's like furiously flipping through the pages and I'm just like sweating, you know, cause I don't want to, I do not want to yell at a kid and I'm, and I wasn't close to it. I mean, trust me, I deal with 12 year olds like right. at work all the time. Right. So I'm, I have a pretty, I feel like I have a pretty patient uh, approach to the whole thing, but man, on the inside, I'm like, Oh, get your kid, get your kid, get your kid. But um, so please listen to those tips. Everyone will, appreciate that everyone at the show make the ecosystem good yeah i think it's just the just prep your kid right let them know where you're going like i i did i guess now that i think you know, we talked that she knew it was a card show she knew we had a few days on the way there i told her there'd be a lot of people it'd be busy you know so just give them a heads up about what to expect and, and they should have a great time all right so in addition to your crowder pickups and your donovan McNabb patch um you've shared a few other recent cards on your Instagram and maybe some, I don't know, you know, maybe some with me that you haven't shared on your Instagram. I don't, I can't keep track. Um, why don't you choose three of those cards that you've got recently? Um, tell me about them and discuss your rationale for picking those up. Cool. So I'll start, um, as we talked about earlier, ironically, I cracked a slab and now two of the cards I'm going to share with you are slabbed cards that aren't going to get cracked, but, and one that I bought specifically because it was slabbed. <laughs> um, so the first, so these all came in yesterday. So they, it happens to be three that I got in yesterday. So I think it's good timing. Um, one is I talked last time I was on with you. Uh, we both talked about our chase for the 1957 top set. Uh, so I got a card in for that set. It's a player named Dick Ricketts from the Cincinnati Royals. It's a PSA six. So it puts me at 
I think 29 out of 80 for the set chase. And little interesting tidbit about Mr. Ricketts is he's one of only 13 players to play in both the NBA and Major League Baseball. He played, he pitched alongside Bob Gibson for the for the Cardinals. So I thought that was a really cool uh, piece of trivia there. And, and that's what, I don't know if you've been doing this, Kyle, but looking up the lesser known players and just seeing like who were they? What what were they about? Um, and, and I've really enjoyed that aspect of that set chase. So. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to as I get them. You know, now that I think about it, because I actually. I, I was working on the 68 Tops baseball set mm. signed, um, and I'm at like 200 out of 600, uh, 598 to be exact. But uh, all the lower ranking players, I think he might be in that set. And I and that didn't even like cross my mind. Like I didn't even know that. But now that you say that, like I think I have some cards of him. I'm gonna now I'm gonna go look after this. Maybe his um. I was on Wikipedia yesterday when I got the card in. His, I don't think, I don't think he would be. A, I feel like I read that his major, his major league baseball career was longer, but I think it still ended in the mid sixties, like sixty three, sixty four. Okay. So card number two is a um, nineteen seventy four Bill Walton. It's slabbed. It's got a huge crease in it. It's got horrible corners, and it's slabbed a PSA one. Story behind this one is I've. I've got um, a Celtics Hall of Fame rookie set, Chase. I don't even know how to say it. Chase, I guess, where I have I try to get rookie cards of every Hall of Famer that has worn green at some point. It started with, obviously, the legendary Celtics, and then it spun off to everyone from Gary Payton and Shaquille O'Neal and Dominique Wilkins. They're all graded because I, I prefer my vintage graded. And on, with the exception of Bill Walton, I've got in a binder, I've got the complete 1974 top set. And I didn't want to, I don't like pulling cards out of a set and putting them in a different, like I like everything together. So I just wanted a, a slab Walton to put in my team, my Hall of Fame rookie box, just to, as a placeholder. This was popped up on eBay the other day. So for 20 bucks, I bought a PSA one, just literally just to have a second copy to keep because that, I guess, those card OCD moments hit every now and then. So I thought that was a pretty cool pickup. And we all, if we're going to do graded cards, we all need at least one PSA one in our SGC yeah. authentic in our, our collection, right? <laughs> had, had I seen that, uh, I would have grabbed that. I so that, that's a good catch. And, and what's funny about that is that probably is a low pop because um, 74s weren't really like, you don't see really bad beat up copies all that often. Not not to that extent. I mean, you'll see some fours and fives, but um, I, you know, a one for a seventy-four. By that point, people were kind of figuring out how to store cards, and they were standard size. So, don't see too many of those around. I'm jealous of that one. <laughs> well, if I ever get rid of it, I'll send it down to Florida. <laughs> All right. And then the the final card, and this is something that you're definitely a lot more knowledgeable than I am, but um, it's a, it's actually an, it's a unbranded card. It's a, it's a leaf card. It's uh 2019, I believe it's a, it's a white Jersey red patch. It's a letter R from Paul Pierce's Clippers Jersey. Uh, so it's the entire letter R it's a nameplate card. Um, and I honestly, I don't know if they don't scan well. Um, I don't know if you've seen this Kyle, on eBay, I felt the few that I've seen from the set, I thought it had a brown border. But when I got it in mm -hmm. hand, it's it's a dark blue border with a beautiful like use of gold hollow foil around the edge. I I think it's a great great looking card. It's much better looking than I thought it was going to be. Interestingly, it's number two out of six when 
the R in his name is definitely not the second letter. So I'm not sure about they, that. Yeah, they <laughs> screwed up. The, the numbering screwed up on all of them. Like the, I say this about the Panini a lot. The little details can just go could go so far to make some cards um, perfect. But I would put, I mean, for 70 bucks, I got an entire letter from a you know a jersey. I think I said I think it was you. I said too. Panini doesn't have any. I mean, they do in Lux, and there's a couple of them. Even some of his immaculate Clippers cards are Celtics patches, so there's there weren't really there's not really a good option for a Clippers Pierce patch card. Uh, so a nameplate is is perfect, and it fills a gap in in my collection for sure to to recognize that part of his career. And and it's it's honestly I I would say it's you know one of the nicest looking nameplate designs that have come out. It's better than the o four o five tops nameplate with that basketball background. Let's let's say. <laughs> Yeah, and you know, in this case, the the patch is what the focus should right. be on, and they didn't put that cheesy jersey mock-up that Leaf does on a lot of stuff. So, um, out of all of their cards, those nameplates are definitely my favorite. And the 2019 set, the design looks way better than the 2020 set, in my opinion. Um, okay, so let's go to our. This is our next to last topic here. Um, I know you said some of those at least came from eBay. So if for some reason, let's say on that Bill Walton, if for some reason you get buyer's remorse and you don't send it to Florida, well, you know, used to be you could just say, well, item was not as described. Um, Not that you would do that, but there are some horrible people out there that would do stuff like that. Um, eBay just changed a policy that's going to make it at least a little bit harder for you to send stuff back when you have buyer's remorse. On Monday, I got an email from eBay, and I posted it on my Instagram, but I'll, I'll cover the highlights here real quick. They said, effective July 29th, we're updating our money-back guarantee policy for trading cards by changing the time frame for buyers requesting a return when the item doesn't match the listing. Um, so now it says, if the seller doesn't offer returns, you must request a return no later than three calendar days after delivery instead of 30 days to return an item um, when it doesn't match the listing. If the seller offers returns, you must request a return within the seller's window as stated in the listing. What do you think about this move? I mean, there's nothing... I don't think there's any negative to it. I'm not sure it's a huge game changer because you'll. I think we'll still see some unpaid items and such. But to know as a seller, to know that I can sell an item and they it can't be flipped right and and that's that's what this is getting at if i were to sell great example if i were to sell a jalen brown card back during the season when he's coming off the all-star game and then by the end of the season a month or two later he's out with you know the the surgery that he's getting now that now that card's decreased in value there are people out there that will then try to initiate you know oh 60 days later, I just realized that this card isn't what it was described to be. Um, so what eBay is doing is trying to get rid of those. And that 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 should instill a little more confidence in the selling aspect of it. And I, I do know that it's not the fees that people have issues with with eBay. It's it's more the confidence in the fact that you can basically, as a, a you know someone making a purchase, can get away with all kinds of shady activities. So they do need to, to instill some confidence in their sellers. And I think this is the the first move in that, and I, I hope it. I hope that they continue to to make progress in this area. I think the one thing that they really need to start 
pushing in addition to this is, is making those those no non-payment um, strikes something that actually matters. Like let's kick people off eBay if they keep buying stuff and not paying for it. But this is a great move in the right direction where you can't try to flip a card or send it off to grading and not get the grade you want and then return it. And that's unfortunately what pe- people have been doing over the years. Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's a step in the right direction. And you know, people are always going to find loopholes. Uh, people are always going to do shady things. Uh, my, I guess my fear here is, I, you know, maybe they could still file a claim with PayPal mm-hmm. or you might have people that will just damage cards to send them back, you know, not as described. And now all of a sudden there's a crease, um, which I'm hoping, you know, definitely don't want people to do that. But I could see that happening. But um, otherwise, I think it's a move in the right direction. Okay. Um, last thing here. I know you're an avid listener of the Pack to the Future podcast. Um, by the way, if you guys haven't checked them out, make sure you do that. On the most recent episode, Chad had to go to card court for a number of reasons. We won't go into all of those here, um, but he, he went to a show without the other host and there were some things that happened. Now, shortly after this, his hometown Jazz blew a 25-point lead and were eliminated from the playoffs. Do you believe in karma? I absolutely believe in card karma. However, I don't know that karma from Chad blowing off his friends impacted the Jazz because the Jazz did what the Jazz always do and they lose, right? They, they don't win. <laughs> um, so that was just the Jazz being the Jazz. Um, I don't think in this instance, the you know Chad going out and grading Pokemon cards or buying base revolution as an investment, I, I don't think that impacted Donovan Mitchell or, or Rudy Gobert. I think them paying a max contract to Rudy Gobert and then being the Utah Jazz is what resulted in them losing. But on a side note, on a serious note, if your listeners haven't, um, they need to go back and, and I'll, I know you have talked about this with me. Um, they need to go back and, and listen to this the one of the more recent Pack to the Future episodes where they interviewed the photographer for the the LA teams um amazing 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 stories um this guy's been doing it for 33 years and give you an example of of I don't know if you like the nuances picked up on but he was talking about they asked him if any you know players that ever give him grief for like you know an embarrassing picture basically being posterized or dunked on he said no one but he said one time he's walking walking through the the forum and and Kevin Garnett gives him a little kind of sly remark that was joking. And he said something like, but knowing KG, you know, there was probably something behind it. And I was like, but how many people in the world can just say knowing KG, right? Like the, the experiences <laughs> that this guy has and the, the lens that he pun intended that he brought brings to like the fan experience and helping just a different view of, of the game and the players. It's, it's an amazing, amazing interview and everybody needs to go listen to it. Yeah. I think that was episode 68 what's the photographer's Um, name andrew is it bernstein andrew bernstein so there we go chad also don't forget he said the jazz are going to lose that's what they do um (laughs) all right steve you've been on many times before you know the drill before i let you go i'm going to give you a chance to offer any final thoughts or promote anything you're working on now um it's going to be in the title of the episode but give us your social media handles um, if you'd like to do that as well. Yep. As, as always, you can find me, um, as you guys like to say, Shawley, but it's, 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 it's S Howley. So S H O W. Shawley. Shawley. Yeah. Shawley. Yeah. Um, 
<laughs> and I feel like every you and I have similar uh, social groups. And when you know some of your other guests are, are also hobby friends of mine, um, and I feel like every time they come on, if if that comes up, they they all say what you say, like mind blown that it's not Sholdy. But yeah, S Holly S H O W L E Y two thousand three um, Instagram Twitter blowout com C etc. Um, nothing to really plug, I guess. If you happen to have any fifty-seven tops, um, PSA five or higher, definitely let me know. Um, lower grade ones, raw or SGC, can go to Kyle. But other than that, <laughs> yes, and he's not joking. No. Wait till you yeah. see a lot I have yeah. coming. <laughs> uh, yeah, is, is that the one with the the handwriting on it? <laughs> yes, lots of handwriting. But uh, yeah, nothing to plug. Just uh, feel free to reach out. I, I get lot. I always I love doing this because I always get. A couple of new followers and people that come through with some questions and stuff and like most of, i probably i assume everyone that listens to this podcast like to geek out on the on the hobby talk every now and then so definitely reach out with any questions and let's you know hope everyone's doing well all right well there you have it i want to extend a big thanks to steve for taking time to come on the show um, as i mentioned earlier recording solo wasn't a viable option this week in fact um, i'll edit these out but i've been coughing in steve's ear this whole time Um, he stepped in and he made it happen. So if you enjoyed this episode, please reach out to him and let him know. Otherwise, maybe there was something we chatted about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. This is very simple. Before you go to purchase or bid on an item, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click the big eBay logo at the top, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. It's a simple way to support the show, but if multiple people do that, it really helps me out. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. Podcast.